I'm Anne Labar. And I'm Lisa Lancer-Rose. And this is This Animal Life. Today, we're talking about, like everyone nearly all of the time, COVID-19. But we'll be talking about it in relationship to ferrets, chimps, and social distancing in This Animal Life. Well, you know I have a ferret, right? This is how this started. I have a ferret. And being a person who wants to know about animals, I immediately read books and watched YouTube videos. And one of the things that I came across was that you can transmit the flu to your ferret. And the ferret can transmit the flu to people. Or at least that's what I heard, read, whatever. And so then I got started thinking about how the flu and COVID are somewhat similar. And Mm -hmm. I had read just in passing, I'm going to clarify this later, that ferrets can catch it from people and transmit it back. There's going to be a little qualification with that. But (sighs) so I started thinking about you know, what if I got COVID? I'm the only person that interacts with this ferret because my husband will have nothing to do with it. Or so he says, (laughs) I teach him, like, it comes out onto the balcony. He lives in my loft, which is my office, and he'll stick his head out between the little banisters on the overhang that goes down into our, our great room. And he'll like, you know, wiggle something on the end of a stick. Wow. And he'll bring home tunnels from doing whatever home improvement project he's doing. So he's warming to the ferret, whose name is Koi. Whose name is Koi. I just say the ferret. I was like that when we had a cat, too. It was always the cat. And I don't know why. Hmm. But it's not like I don't think they're their own people, because I do. You do. I know you do. And I I call the ferret squirrel, which I try not to do, because he's not a rodent. People make that mistake. They think ferrets are rodents, and they're not. They are. They are weasels. They're part of the mustelid family, which also took me down a rabbit hole. But I started worrying about them. You know, if I got it, I'd have to quarantine. I was more worried about giving it to the ferret than giving it to my husband. I understand. Yes. And then if you take the ferret out of the house, say to go to the vet, you are possibly transferring COVID to other people. Right. Um, So there's that. But, so I had been thinking about that, and then the story of the minks broke in Denmark. And it actually, it wasn't just Denmark. It was Denmark, Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, Italy, and the U.S. Okay, so tell us what happened. What? So what happened was, um, just to give a quick summary of it, what happened was they assume that one of the workers gave COVID to a mink on the mink farm. Okay. So the mink caught COVID from a person and then it ran rampant through the entire population on the farm. It transmitted easily, quickly. Some of them were terribly sick and it was respiratory. Okay. And so what they had to do was call them basically um, because they were also sick. They don't know for absolute certain that it can transfer back, but they're pretty sure it can. So they didn't want people catching it. So then go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking right now, I feel like probably a good percentage of our listeners are like me or thinking, wait a minute, how many mink farms are there still? I thought, uh, I thought people had gotten over wearing fur and how come we can't um, treat them, you know, give them some, <laughs> some antivirals and, uh, you know, uh, I let think, them well, curl what up they and did get extra fluids and see how they do. When they did get sick, I know they carted a bunch off to a lab to work on vaccines to see if vaccines would work on the animals. Because with domestic animals, okay. you're going to want to vaccinate your herd, although you don't have a herd of minks. Um, what do they call that? A company of minks. Oh, wait. Oh, a group of ferrets is called a business. Historically, aha, historically a busyness. Um, I always say my ferret's really, really busy. He's just busy. He's got things that he's busy. Um, so it makes total sense. Uh so yes, um, a company of minks and a business of ferrets. I don't know if company of minks came 
after. Anyway, how do they come up with these things? We should do a whole, we could do a whole show on that. And I think we should. Um, but yes, they, uh, but I would, this is an assumption that U.S. people have stopped wearing fur. Europe, yeah. not so much. And I lived in Alaska for a short time. And you wear fur in Alaska. I'm sorry. It's cold. You wear fur. <laughs> um, as you would in the Netherlands, I'm, I'm sure. There's nothing comparable to it. And it is a, if they're not farming, people are trapping. It's a way of life. But that is a whole other conversation. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they had to kill them all it was actually, they most of them would have died. But the... For their fur anyway, you mean? No, no, from the COVID. Oh, they were very um, sick. They were very sick. But mink can catch the virus from humans and pass it on to each other and likely be able to pass it back to humans. Read a little bit of, about this when I was starting, when I was first embarking oh, on my yeah. investigation. Cats can catch it. Cats tend not to be symptomatic. And cats shed the virus. I didn't see anything about cats transferring it to humans. But they are shedding the virus, which implies that you could catch it from your cat. Whereas dogs catch it, can get very sick. Dogs have died of it, but it's not very often, um, almost statistically insignificant, that there is transfer between humans and dogs. And I, it doesn't look as if humans have caught it from dogs. However, that said, I'm thinking that people live so intimately with their dogs. You know, they're up on the couch watching TV and you're not wearing masks and you're in each other's proximity for longer than 15 minutes. You know, they sleep on your bed. So if somebody catches COVID and there's a dog in the mix, the assumption is going to be that you that you got it at work or you got it from your mate, you know, or, or your school age child. <laughs> They've gotten you know. it from your dog. However, well, dogs get out more. Yes. Even now people are walking their dogs a lot. So they would come in contact with other people. But the, um, yeah, there is, there's concern with other pets. And there's not a lot of, a lot of research. I mean, they've looked into cats, they looked into dogs. So with pets, people are concerned about interacting with their pets. And I was particularly concerned about my little weasel to kind of wrap up my little ferret thing here, because it's still a concern to me was they don't know, they know minks, that it's terrible. It will just rage through a population. Um, and ferrets are important to this because they're household pets. And we know that they're very similar. But what we know is that it's very, what we know is very different because that there's some good experimental data for ferrets on this, but very little field data. And the testing is slim because ferrets are not wild animals. They are right. domestic animals. And in order to test, you would have to test many households that had infected people with ferrets. It's a little niche. Our, our contact tracing isn't up to it just yet. No. And they did one preprint study <laughs> looking at human to ferret transmission in a household. Okay, are you ready for this? <gasps> in a household where there were two infected people and 29 ferrets. <laughs> Now, I can smell it one, from here. <laughs> having one ferret that my husband insists that he can smell downstairs, 29 ferrets is horrifying. Unless they had them outside. I mean, in, in the UK, when I lived there, people had won. The winters are mild, or at least they used to be. And you could have them outside. Um, and people would have almost like kennels, but they were boxes that were built on top. It was actually very cute places that they slept in and stuff. Like rabbit hutches? Yeah, yeah, a lot like rabbit hutches. And um, But they breed them for hunting. Oh, of course. They, yes, they they because they go down holes and they'll flush out rabbits. And that's it's almost like that's a hobby over there. You can buy, a, I thought, oh, a ferret magazine. And it was a how to hunt with ferrets magazine monthly. I didn't you know. I was like, oh, I don't want to know that. It's the weasel version of a dachshund. Yes. Yes. And they're very, you know, personable. They like people. Mine will come right up to me. I mean, 
unless he wants to play and then he hops away. And so I have to sit quietly for a minute and he comes out and he walks up to me and goes, Hey, and he bites my ankle and then I'll run away. Yeah. Um, like a kid. He'll, yeah. Very oh, very much like a kid. They're very kittenish. Chase me, chase and me. They have very different personalities. And mine is very sweet. I spend all day, every day with him, which is why I think he's very calm and sweet. But if he were to get sick, I would really, really struggle with that. Um, and it's it's tough. I mean, I think that that's why they, they went right with cats and dogs right away to find out what they could. And because a lot of times our diseases don't cross back and forth with cats and dogs. Right. You know, there's very, there's, there's, um, oh, what is it called? FIV, feline immune, wait, help me. HIV is, oh, it's AIDS. It's cat yes, AIDS. Yes, it's cat AIDS. <laughs> my it's my cat aunt's AIDS. cat had cat AIDS. It's different yes, in cats. It is. It's different in cats. And it, there's no. And there's, there's a leukemia, no, a feline a leukemia. Cats, yes. A lot of cats get leukemia. That is transmissible, right? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I am really reaching way back here. <laughs> and I think they can recover from it. I think it's transmissible between cats. Yes. Yes. That's okay. what I mean. But you can treat it. And that's when, you know, you really, really go down the veterinary hole. Yes. <laughs> You're treating your leukemic cat. Um and ferrets have adrenal issues. And I actually had a friend who was, I mean, we joked about it being on dialysis, but that wasn't far from the truth. She was driving, you know, two states away to get treatment for her. Dialysis you know, it, for her ferret? Yeah. It's basically what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I understand. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to make any comments because um, <laughs> no, it wasn't my ferret. It exactly. wasn't my ferret, and I don't know. I may do the same thing. Um, basically, there's some recommendations, and these are the recommendations for people with cats and dogs, okay, as well. And these apply to ferrets because they don't. Again, they don't know. They don't know how transmittable it is with ferrets because, again, they did one study in one household. And of ferret hoarders. Uh, ferret hoarders, yes. That uh, I don't think the ferrets got sick, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, so anyone with COVID-19 should absolutely not go to a mink farm. <laughs> or, or anyone that works at a anyone who works at a mink farm, just don't go near them. Um, because it is so transmittable, it just, it just rages. So just don't, you know, not that many people will know someone who works at a mink farm, but just in case you do, don't, you know, stay a good six to 12 feet away from them. And then the other things that should be done, and this is for cats and dogs as well, is if you have COVID-19, you should limit or avoid contact. With your pets. With your pets. Yeah. Um, if they've been exposed, keep it away from other people or animals. If your ferret has been exposed and is sick, and the same goes with cats and dogs, let your vet know. Discuss it over the phone. Don't go tromping in there with your pet in the pet no, carrier. No, I always think um, that you would isolate your animal and figure it's only for two weeks. It's going to be a painful two weeks. Oh, yeah. But go in with a mask and gloves. And yeah. Oh, the dog, especially dogs are just not going to get that. And cats just aren't going to go along with that. <laughs> so they're going to be, look it. <laughs> <laughs> or though they may not care. <laughs> the cats? Too. The cats. They, they will care, care one hour a day. <laughs> right. <laughs> then they're like, I'm busy. Get out of my way. You know, that was the, the joke when the shutdown happened was dogs were thrilled and cats were like, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> Why are you here? They are creatures of routine. <laughs> no question. Off of my couch. Um, and actually just another COVID, this is a COVID, this is COVID related. I went, I took my border colleague to the vet for his checkup and his shots the other day. And he had lost a pound, which is good. Cause he's, he's geriatric. He's um, almost 14. 
and uh, they uh, they said, "Wow, um, you know, he lost a pound. That's that we have not seen that since since the whole COVID thing. Dogs are gaining weight, just like people." And I said, "Well, yeah, they're home all day with people getting treats all day. <laughs> of course, they're gaining weight." <laughs> But my husband is home, so he's running with the Border Collie. He's got him out for a run. Oh, he's getting more so, exercise. He is actually getting more exercise. And uh, yeah, so I thought that was funny that pets are gaining weight along with their owners. I'm not surprised. I'm not either. Um, but one of the things that I really, this has always interested me, is the concept, or not the concept, it's not even a theory, it is spillover. It is what it is. <laughs> it's spillover. What do you it's mean? Spillover. And that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about. So I went down this path that led me to minks and then bats and then pangolins and then the concept of spillover. But I want to start with the concept of spillover okay. because this just really underlines something that we often forget hmm. is that we are animals and we have basic biology that is exactly the same as all other mammals and some that is the same as every other living creature. I wanted to define spillover and I got this from a website called News Medical Net, uh, medical.net. And we'll put these up on the Facebook page okay. and the website, you know, that way we can list our sources. But they call it a spillover event. And what it is, is it involves viruses overcoming barriers okay to become, to become feasible in another species and it's it's interesting we don't have the vocabulary to talk about it as if viruses don't have a consciousness no no that's up for some debate uh not that they have consciousness but whether or not i remember this from high school biology yeah. like are they it's a philosophical question almost right. like, are they alive Right. Especially viruses. Yes. Because, yeah, but they do and they do overcome these barriers, probably because of mutation. It happens. It works. If it works, it keeps working because it keeps passing on to new hosts, basically. Yes. So the virus, too, just like any other disease or parasite, can't be too effective in the primary host because then they will all die. And they will have no place to live. So the species that has the original, like the host species, is a reservoir. It holds the virus. It's a habitat. Yeah. And you don't want to wipe out your entire habitat. I think that all creatures would do that. Of course, we don't necessarily do that. We shit where we sleep, um, <laughs> which gorillas don't even do. So, the transmission does require close contact, which is why between primary host and a secondary species. So if you're talking animals and people, a lot of, we get a lot of the viruses that spill over into us from farm animals. You know, the avian swine flu. Swine flu, yeah. The swine flu, right? That comes from the chickens and it comes from the pigs. Chicken pox. And, no, that's not it. No, well, there was a couple years ago where, because we have chickens, that's um, not why chicken pox are called chicken pox. No, it's not why chicken pox are called chicken pox. But something was running through chickens um, maybe four uh, or five years ago. So everybody got rid of their chickens. Do you remember when prairie dogs had monkey pox? And you That's weren't allowed to keep prairie dogs. As, yes. And you weren't allowed to keep prairie dogs anymore because it would spill over to humans. Right. Just to back up, it needs close contact. And it needs to have, of course, then successful transmission. And you would think that at the rate that we know COVID is, is mutating, um, that it's probably mutating like crazy until one finds its way into, you know, Farmer Joe. And then it's all over. Um, What's all over? Are you talking about... <laughs> The pandemic well, to end all pandemics by wiping us well, out. Well, that too, but the flu, you know. <laughs> so, so there, there won't be any creatures anymore who can use the word pandemic. Right, right. Um, okay. But, or just that now we have a new virus we have to figure out. Spillover events are actually really rare. And if you think about it, we really don't have that many. There's the flu, 
now there's we've been very lucky yes. this the last few generations have been very yes. lucky um, at least in the united right. states you know we have the flu that we deal with every year and now we have sars because there's there has to be you know so many things have to go right to have a spillover event yeah. but of course it happens so one of the one of the things that caused the spillover because they don't know where it came from. And this is, I'm going to get into this a little bit. We've been hearing a lot okay. about bats. Like, oh, it came from bats. Yes. And the lab. Right. Bill oh, Maher the lab. lab. Well, we're not going to go there because. Well, <laughs> Bill Maher went there last night with two experts who said that, well, uh, maybe we need to I'm look talking, at it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I don't know. Because, um, but there's. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's we're some, talking We're animals. talking animals. But. Um, we heard a lot about bats, that that's probably where it came from. There may be some credibility. Yes. To, I mean, <laughs> by the time we air this, we may know more about the lab. Yes. And yes. It got discredited because it was politicized. Oh, I see. But there may be something to it after all. Well, it is interesting because the uh, coronaviruses, the SARS viruses, which COVID-19 is one of, are RNA viruses, and you may have heard that because they're talking about the vaccine being RNA vaccine. Yes. These can evolve quicker than other virus families because, and this is terrifying, because of their ability, get this, to recombine. Okay. So you've got two mutations. They can split apart and mix themselves up. Great. That's brilliant. Yes. So I, I, I mentioned before that birds, a lot of our viruses come from birds. Um, bats are a common source of these spillover events, which is that's why. And bats are descended from primates, not from rodents. Right. Oh, oh no, they're not. Yeah, they're, so, they, they yes. are mammals. They are little mice. Well, so are rodents. Yeah, but they're not. I don't believe they came from. I'd have to look. Well, they're again, not little mice. But, I, I, but you're right. They're not little mice. They're not rodents. They are. They are little. They're related to primates, not to rodents, right. even though they look like rodents. Right. They are not much like weasels. Okay. You know, we, we, the reason ferrets get, because they kind of look like a squirrel, you know, so that's, yeah. you know. Um, like an elongated squirrel. Right. And bats look like mice, ugly, really ugly mice with they wings. They do look like mice with wings, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but they're really like, they're really like little humans with wings. Yes, they are. <laughs> So a lot of them, so that's why they went to the bats first, I think, is because a lot of this stuff, when it happens, it'll start in the bat. Um, Which is why we, we have more spillover with bats because of their similarity, yes. to, genetic similarity yes. to primates. The other thing that is, it, it may have some, and this is, most of what this is going to be is from the New Yorker, uh, the August 31st New Yorker. And I believe this is going to break you up. The original title was The Sobbing Pangolin. Uh-oh. Uh, but anyway, the, this writer, in old terms, anthropomorphizes uh, the pangolin quite a bit, which is interesting because it looks like a pine cone. So it's, it's amazing <laughs> that you can do that. But just to back up, um, they can also run the genetic sequence of the virus. The pangolin? Well, no, just scientists. of scientists. So okay. they're running, they're, they've got the roadmap. So that's why they can see the mutations. And they can take okay. the COVID from the bats and see how similar it is to ours. It is very similar, but it is dissimilar enough to say that it would take far too long to evolve to be close enough to spill over. That is not taking into account the recombinant ones that they recombine because that speeds things up. Like if they break apart, then they can recombine into a new, faster, you know, virus. Um, but it already has spilled but over. But it already has spilled over. But what they have found is that it may very well be pangolins may be a more likely source Oh, for a couple of reasons. Um, the, gen the, genetic, the genetic map is far closer between their COVID and our COVID than the one found in okay. bats. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And you would think, you know, that pangolins... <laughs> 
Um, they come from Asia and Africa. And you would think, you know, so how is that a spillover event? Pangolins. Do people eat them? They do. Do you buy them in the wet market? You do. And that's exactly, <gasps> exactly what it is. And they are endangered now <gasps> because of that. Um, hey. Just so that our, our listeners know, because I think not everyone knows what a pangolin is. Um, they are mammals. They do give live birth. They birth one baby. They do not have a litter. They have one. And it rides on their back. And they roll around it. They roll up like a pill bug because they have scales. They Like hedgehogs. Yes, too. like hedgehogs. But they're not pokey like hedgehogs. They've got armor, kind of it's like, like ar armadillo. Armor. They're not related to the armadillo. That's like, what do they call it? Convergent evolution. They both okay. kind of went in the mm -hmm. same way. But they look like a pine cone. They have all these little scales. Do they have prehensile tails, perchance? I don't believe so. Okay. They are also known as the, oh, I can't remember now, something anteater, not spiny anteater because that's the echidna, um, but they're not anteaters, but they are very similar. They don't have teeth. They eat ants. They have a long tongue. They have an elongated face. So they look a little bit like an anteater. I have a question. Yes. Were they experimenting on pangolins <laughs> in the Wuhan lab? No, but they certainly have them in Wuhan. And they are certainly selling them at the wet market in Wuhan. They're elusive because they are so endangered now. There used to be just a lot of them, you know, a seemingly endless supply type situation where now you can be a scientist and walk around in the African jungle and never see one, even though they're there. Yeah, Central Africa, also in Asia. And there's, a, there's several species, but they are really susceptible to capture because they are so gentle. When they're attacked or challenged, they roll up like a pill ball. Okay, and you can you just can tuck just them in your knapsack and move pick on. Them up. Yeah, um, because their scales are on the outside, mm -hmm. their tender parts are, are protected. And if they have a baby, they roll around the baby. Oh, it's so sweet. Um, and the name pangolin comes from pangolin, which is Malay. Do I say that right? Malay? Malay. I don't oh. know. Malay means. Oh. Um, I'm sure I'm not saying that right. Maybe I can fix that. Um, you mean like, as in from Malaysia? Yes. Okay. It's from Malaysia. By the way, I saw a pangolin in the wild. Did you when you were little? I did. Well, I maybe I did when I was little. I don't remember. But I do remember seeing one when I was with Albie in South really? Africa. We were hiking. Yes. yes. You would have seen them in the woods. I have a picture <laughs> somewhere that I could. You want me to see if I can find yes, it? Yes, please. Okay, uh, let me make a little more. Animals that I like. And they're not all that little. Yeah. But it was curled yeah. up. And people, I hope it was alive. I hope I didn't photograph a dead one. Oh, it probably was alive. <laughs> they're very gentle and not fast moving. Um, the name means roller or that which rolls up. Sweet. And the defense works well against predators like lions and leopards. It's not effective against one with a pair of hands. So along with the trafficking in China, they're concerned, they're trying to pass laws, they're, you know, trying to make it illegal. The new concern is that they are trafficking certain viruses as they traffic mm. pangolins. So that's why it's important that we figure out from where, where the spillover happened. Right. Yes. But we should be careful of all of these Sources because it could have been any one of them, and so the next one could come from any one well, of them. Well, because and because more. of the way that they recombine, the virus recombines. It could have emerged from the two, maybe two coronaviruses emerged in a single animal. They recombined. Perhaps it could be half bat, half pangolin, or something oh. else. Um, you know, it, it got. It already had a COVID virus. It got a different COVID virus somehow, and they recombined. It's just extraordinary, and it's it's terrifying. Uh, viruses in general are terrifying. <laughs> They're little aliens. They look like they don't look like anything we've ever seen before, kind of thing. And it is in the pangolins as well. It affects the respiratory. They look like jacks. 
Remember the game yes. Jacks when you were a little yes. kid? Oh my gosh. Or little robots. Some look like little robots. Yes. Ah. And this is the sad part with this article. The author, by the way, is David Quammen. He talks about they had seized some from a wild animal park that were sick. And it was respiratory. It was COVID. Most of them died. And the composite virus has a, oh boy, has the capacity to seize and infect certain human cells, including some in the respiratory system. This is where the author brings up the sobbing pangolin. That most of the okay. ones that were taken or were seized that were sick were inactive and sobbing. And I want to I want to read this. Okay. Because he said it eventually died. Sobbing, and they described them as sobbing. Sobbing might be taken as a metaphor for respiratory struggle. But then again, sometimes a sob is just a sob. If he's not trying to push your buttons to protect these animals, that did it for me. <laughs> and, you know, just to sort of wrap it up, the, there is a book, and I have many of these books about spillover events, uh, many of which I have not read, <laughs> but I buy them. <laughs> Edward, C, Edward C. Holmes is a brilliant evolutionary biologist, and he wrote a book from 2009 called the evolution and emergence of RNA viruses. And okay. they are the most dangerous and they include coronaviruses. So there uh -huh. is that. But I wanted to end with this because again, this writer, he says, more field research is needed, more sampling of wild animals, more scrutiny of genomes, more cognizance of the fact that animal infections can become human infections because humans are animals. Wow. And we forget that. We always talk about it crossing over into humans. Well, no, it jumped species. Yes. And when you look at it that way, you see the impact of it. And even though spillover is rare, it's going to happen. So stay away from your pet if you're sick and keep your pets away from you if they're sick. So there you go. Don't stop booping your dog's nose. No, but from a distance. Just wash your yeah, hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> Boop from a distance. Boop from a distance. <laughs> we wanted to talk about transmissibility between species and how that affects our relationships. Yes. So I started in a similar place where I was looking at um, infection rates, a crossover, spillover between uh, humans and their pets. Mm. But I found there was a lot of information out there about that, and there weren't many stories, and I was looking for a story. So, um, and I was looking for behavior. Yes. How I got wondering about social distancing and whether or not humans were the only animals that practiced oh. that. And I assumed, I assumed that we were. Um, and, you know, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I, but one thing I kept hearing about was, uh, or I kept hearing from people, was how unnatural it was for social creatures to have to practice social distancing. Yes. Because, and that is certainly an emotional toll on us. You know, you I have to spend, I have to be six feet apart from my friends. I can't hug them, you know, and um, you can't spend the holidays with your relatives and you know, uh, my stepdaughter's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. And um, she's telling me that we have to quarantine for at least two weeks and stay that way if we want to hold our grandchild. So, um, you know, uh, I was thinking a lot about my mom. If my mom had not died before the pandemic, this would have killed her just from not getting hugged for a whole damn year, you know? Yeah. And so I can certainly understand why at least half the population is so resistant to social distancing you know oh, they're yes yeah they're they're so resistant to it that they're more inclined to believe that there's some nefarious political plot behind it rather than believe there's right. a deadly airborne pathogen that we can beat by social distancing right and i'm you know? sure that you've been like i i saw an old friend and we talked for like an hour you know a good six feet apart and then right as we were going to leave we both went oh screw it <laughs> It's like big hugs. Yes. Like yes, your so your guard goes down. It really um, 
there's a, a family that lives right across the street from me. And since the pandemic, they didn't have these big parties before, but since the pandemic began, they started having coronavirus parties every, I forget, it was Friday or Saturday night, but they, and they were as loud and obnoxious as they possibly could be. They're drinking and <laughs> jumping in the pool and shouting, fuck the coronavirus. And they did it all through the big shutdown you know, wow. back in March and April or whatever it was. And they've continued to have these parties. And so I'd be out walking the dog, feeling really sorry for myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're all, we're not, uh, the writing conferences I was going to present at oh. were canceled. Yep. You know, um, I was going to go back up north and visit you. And uh, I'm, I'm shutting all this down. I'm sacrificing all the things that I'm looking forward to. I'm not partying uh, right. so that I can be a good citizen of the planet and not spread this thing. And, you know, and, and there exactly. they, like, I, I felt like if I just went across the street, there wouldn't be a pandemic anymore. <laughs> it was like an alternate universe <laughs> across the street. Uh, so, but anyway, you know, I never, I, maybe I'm, as my father used to say, so open-minded, my brains fall out. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, there is that. I, I get it. Yeah. 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 So I really don't know what to believe in, until I check it out. You know, even though I, I have something of a vocabulary, although I think it's shrinking. Um, <laughs> you know, my students would use a word in class and I would say, um, they would ask me what it means. And I would say, well, look it up. And I had dictionaries on everybody's desk because I would not trust my own you know, I was usually right, but not yeah. always, you know, or, the, or like, I can't remember every little nuance. I can't remember uh, the roots necessarily of all of the words. Right. So and you're using like, it. All of it. Yeah. I yeah. want to make sure that it, this is my habit. I, I work between a thesaurus and a dictionary and I want to know all the things before I choose my word. So <laughs> I need to check things out. So um, when the pandemic broke out, I had no patience for politics. It's it seemed to me I may be totally wrong, but it seemed to me but like a, like a sport. Like you were either a Bucks fan or a Jets fan, you know, and you weren't going to listen to anything else. And everything that you heard was going to be filtered through that. Does it help my team or does it hurt right. my team? You know, so I guess I'm team nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to like, you know, screw all the politicians and all the politics, all the tribalism. I want to know what the science geeks are saying, because yes. my assumption is, is that uh, they're, they just have a passion for the subject matter. Matter. So I want to know what they're saying. Right. So there's uh, two sources I kept going back and back to over and over again, where Mike, Dr. Mike Hansen's YouTube channel, he's, okay. you know, yeah, he, he's nice looking and he's, <laughs> you know, he's, he, you know, he, he enjoys his personality. Let's say he enjoys himself, but at the same time, uh, he's a pulmonologist and an ICU specialist. And he had this podcast or this podcast, he had this YouTube channel long before the pandemic made him a personality. Right? right. And he did a lot of episodes on how, um, how the virus multiplies, how it binds mm. in your, uh, in your alveoli and all, you know, uh, like you sit there and you watch this. He's a teacher. And I'm a teacher, mm, so right. he, he teaches you how it works, and you feel like a med school student, at least while you're watching this. He <laughs> makes you feel smart, you know? Uh, and then also, This Podcast Will Kill You. That's the name of the podcast. This podcast yes, will yes. kill you by two women named, both named Erin. Right. Um, <laughs> one's a disease, ecolo or they're both disease ecologists and epidemiologists. Yeah, um, one's one and one's the other, I think, but... Yeah, okay. Regardless. That's, Yes. yes. And um, so I, I learned a lot from them. And I'm not going to tell you anything that I learned from them. You go you go do your own homework about the virus. <laughs> you know, that's as a teacher, I'll tell you, go, you know, read the syllabus. Look it up. And do your own homework. You look right. it up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to tell you any of that. But I do, I want to look into whether or not animals practice social distancing and how the heck that could possibly happen. Yeah, really? So what did yeah. you find? Well... Uh, I want to start first also by saying that I hate the phrase social distancing. When I first started hearing it on the radio, in the news, um, I took it to be something that was coined by propagandists or 
dingbats, okay. you know, like you remember when John yes. Kerry was running for office and, and suddenly flip-flop wasn't footwear anymore. It was a verb <laughs> and everybody was saying it. And I, that just annoyed the heck out of me. And um, I wanted to know if social distancing was really a phrase at all. Right. Okay. So I started with words because I'm a word person. Uh, it is actually a scientific term. <laughs> and it's been used by biologists and epidemiologists. And so, you know, we talk about rabbit holes we go down. So I went chasing down, like, when did that word start? And I didn't, I didn't find when it started because I lost interest. <laughs> but I did find, you know, I did searches and found that uh, I was like, how far back can it go? And I did find articles 10 years back. And, you know, they were um, in-house, you know, uh, yeah. publications for uh, by epidemiologists for other epidemiologists. And they were about con controlling contagion. That's when you would see it. That was the context. Uh, so here's what I'm thinking. I, I When I went into this, I was thinking that social distancing was only something that humans could do. Oh. Um, yeah, because okay. I, yeah, I don't... I didn't expect other animals to be able to do it because how do they know? Like uh, one of the things that's been so tragic for me the, the last 30 years or so, I don't know when it started, but I, I shouldn't say 30 years, but white nose syndrome seems to have been around a long time. Bats. And yes. yes. And um, we've talked a lot about bats and I had a, a bat nursery in a house I lived in oh. years ago. Uh, so, you know, I got partial to them. Uh, every once in a while, we'd have to help one of the little babies and, um, you know, so I figured, you see, the, the bats are just letting the contagion wipe them out. You know, they're not social distancing. Ah, no. No, they're they're continuing to have their nurseries together. And, right. And yeah, they, you know, they, they live in caves together by, by the thousands. And so, um, so I thought, you know, in fact, the ability to outsmart contagion is probably why there are 7 billion of us straining the planet. It's exactly because, why there's 7 billion of us straining the planet. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're looking for something that proves that humans are the pinnacle of evolution, social distancing could be the thing that separates us from other animals. You know, it's it's got to be up there with space travel, you know, and telecommuting, you know. Um, it's one thing like, uh, you know, raccoons can wash their hands, you know. Um, they can wash food. Yeah. And, and other creatures do if they, you know, if they see something all crusty and coughing and snot nose, you know, maybe they'll steer clear. Like what's, what's up with that creature, right. you know, but only humans have microscopes and social media so that we can warn each other. Right. Um, uh, there was an article in Scientific American about this by Dana M. Hawley and Julia C. Buck. It was August, 2020. It's called Animals Use Social Distancing to Avoid Disease. And I thought, what? <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> uh, one of the things they do is uh, just what I was doing is like what separates humans. And they uh, oh. they say that the biggest human advantage wasn't the things that I just said. Um, I was thinking social distancing is the thing, right? But um, they say um, the ability to develop sophisticated non-behavioral tools, such as vaccines, right. that prevent the disease and the need for costly behavioral changes. So the behavioral, ah, they, they so recognize the emotional and social cost. Yeah. And the, um, not only are we, you know, you could also look at that in terms of we are so driven to find non-personal um, methods to combat these. Yes. Like we don't want to social. No, I want to go across the street and party with my neighbors. Exactly. So it we're going like to get so much fun. Right. I'm so, so we need lonely. a vaccine. We need a vaccine because we are lonely. <laughs> so she, th these women say that uh, vaccination allows us to maintain rich, interactive social lives. I'm quoting them. Despite contagious diseases such as polio and measles that would otherwise ravage us. Yeah. So I learned from this article and several others that I was wrong. Um, every social creature social distances to avoid contagion. All social uh, creatures do. Yes, all social okay. creatures. Um, and there's even some speculation I happened upon that in, uh, creatures that are solitary mm -hmm. are solitary in part to avoid spreading disease. That might be part of the evolutionary adaptation. Okay. I'm not sure about that, but in my research, I identified three ways, and I'm going to get to a story, I promise. But um, here are the three ways to do it, social distancing. One is everybody spreads out, which is kind of what we're doing, you know, except for your 
your nuclear family, say. Everybody spreads out. Uh, Another way to do it is sick individuals self-isolate to save the group. So there are creatures that just sacrifice themselves. They just leave. I'm sick and and, and they later. I happened upon all kinds of stories about like uh, spiny lobsters. Oh, really? Uh, save themselves. Yeah, the whole community of spiny lobsters save themselves by social distancing. Um, uh, others avoid or uh, other creatures will avoid or ostracize a group member who looks or smells sick. Right. Um, there was ants and bees that uh, self-isolate. Um or refusing to mate with something that uh, with a specimen that looks less than healthy. Uh, and I saw uh, a reference to a study in which birds, this is fascinating, um, birds who had weaker levels of immunity went to more trouble to avoid sick birds than did birds who had stronger immune systems. That was in wow. an article in Biology Letters from 2013. Yeah. Wow. I know. I know. How did they know they had weaker immune systems and that anyway, but it, it, you know, this thing where uh, like my finches, I had a, an elderly finch. She, I'd had her a very long time and she had lots of babies and she developed some tumors that were interfering with her ability to fly a little bit. And we made little ladders for Aww. her so that she could get to her favorite perch and she could get to where the food was. And if she fell on the floor, she could get back up to these places in the aviary. But the other birds started to pick on her. Yes. Yeah, they were attacking her. And it reminded me of, it made me think that schoolyard bullies and, you know, mean girls, that might be some kind of innate social distancing behavior where you, an aversion to people who look or sound different may be some instinctual, deep-seated way to avoid catching, say, smallpox from white settlers, you know, (laughs) and somebody who doesn't appear to you to be healthy, right? Okay. In some way, yes, it's a trigger. I'm not excusing it. I'm saying, no, you know, we to appeal to our where logic and science and our higher angels. That's where some of that behavior may come angels. from and yes. why it still exists. Yes. And we learn to override it. Oh, yeah. But I, I got so interested in other animals' social distancing, and I happened upon some a Jane Goodall story. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I read a biography of Jane Goodall um, by Meg Green. And I read some of Jane Goodall's, uh, some of her books, too, about this particular situation. So I'm going to tell you a story now. So Jane Goodall observed social distancing while studying chimpanzees in the Gombe Stream National Park. It was 1966, and Goodall was watching one of her favorite chimps, Ollie, with her baby, Grosvenor. Grosvenor wasn't behaving normally, and Goodall became alarmed. The more she watched, the more dawned on her that the baby had lost the use of its limbs. It was clear that Grosvenor was dead, and Ollie was distraught. Ollie continued to carry him around, and Gilka, the baby's big sister, continued to groom him, and even tried to get him to play with her. Grosvenor had gotten sick and died, and his bereaved and immediate family did not distance themselves. Oh, and they were carrying the dead baby around which still had disease yes gotcha what goodall had witnessed was the beginning of the polio epidemic in the chimpanzee <gasps> population really yes it's wow thought, i know it's thought that humans transmitted the disease to the chimps which is what you were talking about before that it goes animal to animal species to species so as soon as she realized what was happening, Goodall contacted Louis Leakey. Um, he was a friend and a mentor to her, and he arranged for vaccines to be donated to the humans at the center and to the chimps as well. Oh, wow. So that they could all, because they were interacting, so that they could all be vaccinated. But it was too late for one of Goodall's other favorites. One day... She observed several chimps hovering around a shrub, and they were making low sounds. And that evening, when the chimps had left the shrub, Goodall went over, and she was expecting, uh, probably from the way they were making these low sounds, this behavior that they were exhibiting there, she was expecting to find a dead animal. Oh, okay. Uh, 
just because uh, I know where the story's going, the f- <laughs> that just that kind of hit me. They they were making the sounds that they would make if they saw a dead animal. Okay, but it wasn't a dead animal. It was Mr. McGregor. <laughs> that was uh, one of her favorite chimps. She had been observing them. Oh, I'm like Mr. McGregor. Yeah, <laughs> from the Beatrix Potter story. We didn't expect what? to see you here in the shrub. <laughs> Are you okay, oh, Mr. No. McGregor? Oh no. <laughs> um, yeah, he was one of the first chimps she'd met, and he was dear to her. Um, and but he had lost the use of his legs and control of his bowels. He was trying to feed himself by reaching for berries in that shrub. Um, And he had to drag himself using his arms. Mr. McGregor was covered in feces and blood. Uh, He was all scratched up and flies were swarming him. Okay. The way the other chimps treated him was for good all one of the most tragic things about the polio epidemic. In her book, In the Shadow of Man, she writes, I'm gonna, she's a great writer, a great storyteller. So I will let her tell her story sometimes, you know. So here we go. This is uh this is Jane Goodall telling you a story. She says, initially, they were frightened by the strangeness of his condition. We had noticed the same thing when some of the other polio victims appeared in camp for the first time. When Pepe, for instance, shuffled up the slope to the feeding area, squatting on his haunches with his useless arm trailing behind him, the group of chimps already in camp stared for a moment and then, with wide grins of fear, rushed for reassurance to embrace and pat each other while staring at the unfortunate cripple. Pepe, who obviously had no idea that he himself was the object of their fear, showed an even wider grin of fright as he repeatedly turned to look over his shoulder along the path behind him, trying to find out, presumably, what it was that was making his companions so frightened. Eventually, the others calmed down, but though they continued to stare at him from time to time, none of them went near him. Okay. There was an article in National Geographic by Sidney Combs uh, that was March 24, 2020. It was called, These Wild Animals Also Practice Social Distancing to Avoid Getting Sick. And that was, I think, where this, it first tipped me off that Goodall had some very interesting stories to tell about this. Um, in this article in National Geographic, it said uh, that like humans, chimps are visual creatures. And some research suggests that the initial stigma toward the polio-infected chimps may be driven by fear and disgust of their disfigurement. Yes. And okay. so part of that itself is part of the strategy for avoiding catching the disease that caused those deformations. Right. So but anyway, Pe- Pepe, um, I'm back to the story of Mr. McGregor. Pepe <laughs> regained some of his strength and the other chimps accepted him back. Oh. But not McGregor. Well, no. He was far more crippled. He, yes. And he was also covered in urine, feces, blood, and flies. Let's not forget. Right. Oh. <laughs> anyway, when he first returned to camp, um, this is what uh, Goodall has to say about that. When McGregor first returned to camp, the adult males, one after another, approached with their hair on end. And after staring, began to display around him. Goliath actually attacked the stricken old male. That's McGregor, uh, who, powerless to flee or defend himself in any way, could only cower down, his face split by a hideous grin of terror, while Goliath pounded on his back. When another adult male bore down on McGregor, hair bristling, huge branch flailing the ground, Hugo and I went to stand in front of the cripple. So Hugo is, uh, I think it was Goodall's husband, and he also worked with her in Gombe. Anyway, so they they intervened, and we will talk oh, more okay. about the interventions. Like she vaccinated them, and you know, but she, right. she and Hugo stepped in the way um, and prevented Goliath and the other male from attacking McGregor, and they backed off. After a few days, the other chimps calmed down and they tolerated McGregor, but they still wouldn't get near him. And right. one afternoon, about eight of them were, as uh, Goodall says, quote, grooming each other in a tree about 60 yards from where McGregor lay in the nest or his nest. Okay. His nest. Okay. Yeah, this is Goodall talk in here. She says, the sick male stared toward them, occasionally giving slight grunts. 
mutual grooming normally takes up a good deal of a chimpanzee's time. And the old male had been drastically starved of this important social contact since his illness. Um, so I, I'm just fast forwarding here. When uh, he sees the males grooming each other in this tree about 60 yards off, uh, McGregor drags himself all the way over to the tree where they're grooming. And he pulls himself up. And apparently this was a big ordeal. And I think it was hot, for what she said. And he he had to rest when he got there under the tree oh. in the shade. Yeah. And then when he gathers some strength again, he pulls himself up into the tree. And, you know, remember his hind end doesn't work at all. So he's right. pulling himself just with his arms and he approaches the two males. Okay, now let's pick up Goodall's voice again here. She writes, with a loud grunt of pleasure. He reached a hand toward them in greeting. But even before he made contact, they both had swung quickly away and without a backward glance started grooming on the far side of the tree. Ugh. For a full two minutes, old McGregor sat motionless, staring after them. You know, at this point, I, I'm going back to the response of the chimps in the first place. They, right. they comforted each other. They turned and yes. hugged each other. Anyway, so McGregor sat there for a couple minutes staring after them, and then he lowers himself down. And Goodall was watching them, and she, she writes this about her reaction to seeing this incident. My vision blurred, and when I looked up at the groomers in the tree, I came nearer to hating a chimpanzee than I have ever been before or since. Wow. Yeah. It was uh, the apparent lack of compassion. Yes. That was getting her. Well, I think. Yeah. She doesn't say oh, that. Oh, I'm but. sure. Well, it it would be. I mean, that would be the, I mean, that's our response to uh, when we see people being mistreated. You know, it's, yes. it's empathy. It's, yes. Yeah, empathy for the stricken one. Yes. So uh, Goodall intervened here. She tended McGregor for three weeks. And uh, she says that uh, she was, she was, Frankly, she was hoping he would get better, uh, like Pepe, kind of. I mean, not fully recovered, but it re recovered enough to integrate into society and continue to have a, a rewarding life, you know. So she was hoping right. the same for him. But she admitted later that somewhere inside her, she knew that that was not so. Um, he, he, I don't know how he got back to his nest, but he did get back to his nest and she took him food there. He was not tame. Um, so she would push food up to him using a long stick. Uh, well, but he, he they bite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be really careful with trips. Chimps, I'm telling you. Uh, remember that one in the news not too long ago that tore a woman's face off the yes. pet chimp? Oh my God. Anyway, so she's there pushing. She's using us, and he's yeah. He's he has not learned to trust her. They they like tolerate her presence. Sure. Um, you know. Anyway, so she's feeding him with a stick along the ten foot pole. I'm sure it was a ten foot pole, <laughs> but she was vaccinated. Uh, also, okay, I was going to say, there's also yeah. the fact that she could perhaps catch something from him. Yeah. Yes. Um, also, um, he, he learned to trust her. He wasn't feeling well, you know, and I'm sure at this point he's very depressed. Um, so, and he's covered with flies. This was a huge problem. So um, they started spraying him with fly repellent and it freaked him out. Um she here's her, here are her words about that. She says we killed well over a thousand of the revolting, bloated things. <laughs> At first, this too scared the old chimp, but he shortly s seemed to understand what it was all about, and then he uh -huh. welcomed the operation. So at some point, he he, uh, he also started to allow her to squeeze water into his mouth, which tells you how much of an invalid he was. Right. And just how out of it he was as well. Yes. yes. And one morning she came to check on him and he had fallen from his nest and he had badly hurt his arm. So she made a lower nest for him and he was able to climb into that and he fell asleep. And she checked back on him early that evening and he opened one eye and looked at her and then he fell back to sleep. So she came to the next, uh, I'm summarizing all the, this yes. part here. Uh, she came the next morning and she had brought him eggs, which chimpanzees absolutely love. I don't know how she cooked them or if she cooked them. <laughs> it was like, I have so many questions. Like, were they hard boiled? Were they parboiled? <laughs> you know, 
were they over easy? How'd you... Anyway, uh, so while her old friend was enjoying his special treat, she shot him through the head. Okay. I was going to say, at some point, when do you intervene at that level? Yes. And apparently this just broke her heart because, oh. I mean, she was very attached to the to everyone in this in the Gombe. Um, yes. I forget what they were, their name was, this, this group of, this family group of chimps. But um, the fact that she got so, that she named them instead of giving them serial numbers, you know. <laughs> um, right. She is criticized for that. Yes, uh, she is. Yes. Okay. So polio killed six chimps in that community and several more were afflicted, but they were, uh, they were permanently disabled. Uh, and here's where the social distancing comes in. Um, so some couldn't keep up. The family group travels looking for food. Uh, so some of them just couldn't keep up and they got left behind. Some of them were driven off and even killed by their own group members. So you could say they were culled. That's the word that came to mind. Uh, some of them also got the hint, I guess. You know, they just saw the lay of the land, which it looked seems like um, it was dawning on McGregor. And they went off by themselves, uh, which I guess you could call self-isolating. But then here, here's the interesting thing. Uh, sometimes healthy chimps risked their own well-being. In the example we saw earlier with Ollie when her baby got sick. I was going to say there are stories where they take care of the sick. Yes. So they protected their crippled family members. They helped them eat. They helped them make nests. They helped them travel for the rest of their lives. And those are the kinds of stories we like to hear. Yes. Yes. But if we're talking about an epidemic, do we want to hear that? Uh, okay. So over the 60-year study of chimps in the wild, Goodall saw the chimps suffer many different communicable diseases. And the behaviors I mentioned earlier, ignoring and separating the, from the sick or lame, driving off or even killing them, or nurturing and protecting them. She saw all of that. The dramatically different behaviors seem to depend on personality. I'm thinking, yeah. Um, like uh, the, bit, the large males that attacked McGregor. By the way, McGregor was one of those males. Uh, he was kind of a jerk. He was, he was a big, grumpy bully. And so he would have, he probably put, he, I mean, I don't know if this changes the story for you at all, but he would have, probably would have done the same if he were healthy. And one of, one of the ones who was grooming in the tree was stricken. He would have been one of the ones hugging his buddies and swinging away. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so it, it has, it's how you react to a situation like this, a communicable disease, it seems to in part be dependent on what kind of personality you are, which is partly due to your interrelationships and your social rank, right? It's all interconnected how you're going to react. Like Ollie reacted that way. It was her baby. That's the interrelationship. So yes. um, had someone else come up, you know, how did she react to McGregor? You know, did she avoid him, did she drive him off? Um, so the other player here is Goodall, who interfered. And she got the medicine. She found ways to administer that medicine. She nursed the sick and the injured. She relieved suffering and she euthanized. That was a mercy killing. And she's been criticized for that because it's not objective and it's unscientific. But uh, I was I read several things in which you know they talk about this. Uh, she has never apologized for it. She says, um, I liked this. She says, humans have interfered in the natural world and they have devastated it. Why not interfere compassionately? I think that's where I come out with with COVID and social distancing and wearing masks. I like I I don't know what to think. I don't know what to believe. But why not err on the side of compassion, which is where I don't know if I have it or I'm shedding virus. So I'm going to stay six feet away and I'm going to put my mask on so that I don't accidentally infect a friend, a relative, a coworker. Right? Yeah. Every time I have to decide, I go, like, wait a minute. It's like buckling my dogs into their seatbelts. It's such a pain in the ass. But what if this is the time that I I get in a fender bender and it hurts my dog? I'm gonna I'm gonna take the extra three and a half minutes and buckle them in, you know. Uh, so based on this story, here's here's a cool thought I had. I think we can assume that if you gave the chimpanzees the same information we've been given, 
that there's a highly infectious virus transmitted asymptomatically and it's killing randomly. Um, maybe it hasn't killed anybody you know yet, but <laughs> that's a rumor going around that it's like a Russian roulette. Um, but it's particularly targeting chimps that have already maybe have some kind of a disadvantage. You'd probably see the same behavior that we're showing. Some of them would would refuse to cooperate. Some of them don't want to be bothered. Some of them would be belligerent about it. And some of them would be compassionate about it. So uh, everything, I went to see if other creatures social distance. And what I found is that social distancing, being an asshole about it, (laughs) you know, or just being in denial and voiding it. uh, Everything that we're doing is a natural animal reaction. If you like the story of McGregor, um, or not like, I mean, if you were caught up and fascinated with that, I mean, it's not, it was not a happy story at all. But I highly recommend um, books about Jane Goodall, but books by Jane Goodall are just, I mean, I've, I've been reading them since I was a child. I got to meet her. Oh, so I know, I know. She's so kind. She really is so kind. And she's still, uh, she's still out there doing the good work. So keep doing the good work, stay safe, and join us next time for more of This Animal Life. To explore more of This Animal Life, please subscribe, rate, and review. It would help us immensely, and we will be eternally grateful. Go to www.thisanimallife.com for more links and information on this and other episodes. Our music, as always, was composed and performed by Chip Salerno. Find more of Chip's music on SoundCloud.com. Until next time.